up, everybody? Welcome to The Takeover with your girl, Shane McCray, here on Food Radio. And as always, we always get excited when it's inside the room with State Representative Brandon McGee. But today, he brought a guest with him. And I am so excited to speak to this person right here because... Um, not only do we share some things in common, like being a mom, but she's an advocate for those for women empowerment and so many other things that help uplift each other. So I would like to welcome to the takeover, Miss Joelle Murchison. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. Of course, of course. Thank you so much for joining us as well as my brother B. What's up, B? What's going on? What's going on? And of course, as always, thank you for joining Inside the Room with myself, State Representative Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership and culture. And of course, just a little bit of gossip every now and again. Uh, and I am just very delighted and privileged uh, to be in the same room uh, with um, my big sister, Joelle Murchison. Uh, and there's so much to be said about her and the work um, that she does, but I'm just glad that she's here. She's she's on Fubu yes. Radio with us yes, inside she's on the room. Radio. Yes, yes, and yeah. doing amazing things, and just I mean, come on, girl, we gotta go ahead. It's your time now to talk. <laughs> so, but, so before before she jumps in, I just you know throughout the past week, um, many events they took place that affect the way we view our health and national safety, etc. Um, and, and Shay, as you already mentioned, during today's episode segment, uh, we plan to discuss a range of topics, but more specifically around diversity, equity, inclusion, and its impact on women of color, quite women frankly. Color, yes. Uh, and, and I want to be a bit more intentional with our usage of words, uh, Black women. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, joining us today uh, is a strategic consultant, uh, a diversity and inclusion champion, former Dow uh, 30 CDO, she'll explain all of those fancy titles, a moderator, a workshop leader, an entrepreneur, uh, a mom, um, a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, a mother of a daughter who's about to go to college. I can keep going. Um, but, keep going, I'll right? Leave, <laughs> I'll leave. I'll leave some space. I'll leave some space for her to kind of tell her story. Um, but she also specializes in. Um, well, before I get to that, Joelle holds many degrees. Um, a degree undergraduate from Brown University. She's got two masters uh, from Harvard Graduate School of Education and Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Public Communications. Uh, so we've got the right one to communicate uh, to communicate <laughs> to us um, uh, on today's on today's topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I do want to take a moment, Joelle, just to give you some space to just jump in and kind of tell us who you are. And then I kind of want to back in um, and, and talk a little bit about a case, a 1976 case uh, that that really, I think, served as a precedence of inequalities uh, in the system and how we should continue to work toward um, finding diversity and equity and inclusion in, in, in workspaces. But go mm -hmm. ahead, Joelle. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have to start off by saying, you know, I'm just a little black girl from Jamaica, Queens. Um, yes. And New York you in know, the house. Look. Shay is from New York. Okay. So, yes. so you, it's, it's a pleasure, look, to have you here on Fubu Radio for us, by us, because you already know Queens is in the building. So That's you right. know where, where it come from. That's right. <laughs> um, so it's funny when I think back because, you know, there's so many things from just growing up, um, different lessons and things that helped me both, you know, from school, from church, you know, I went to um, public school in Queens and I was in a special program that when I look back at my kindergarten picture, it is literally like one of those United Nations. And I didn't realize back then, and we're talking about, this is 1970 something, that, you know, at that time, there was this intentional effort to bring these kids together. I never thought about it in that way. Um, moved out to Long Island ultimately later on and the district that I lived in was literally black and white. So some of the United Nations that I experienced being in Queens was no was no more. And what we started to hear was this reality about the, the browning of the district or you would hear people refer to the high school as the zoo, right? Because the school district would get whiter because white parents would remove their kids after middle school because of this whole concept that the high school was the zoo, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so hearing things like that, or living on the side of town in this district, it was made up of a predominantly white um, town and a predominantly black town, but I lived on the side of the ocean. The main street that went through was called Ocean Avenue. So I lived on the side of the ocean that was the black side. And I was like, you know, I wonder, did the realtors really intentionally say, oh, you all want to look at houses in this town? Well, you, we're going to show you these right here. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of that sort of in growing up and recognizing at that time that even our school district was impacted by it. It was one of the first districts in New York State that they considered to be um, uh, uh, perfectly um, desegregated. And it was just because it was black and white. There were all kinds of court cases. My teachers, I didn't even realize, were involved in all of these protests. But, you know, herein is this district that now this little black girl is fighting to get people to um, approve the, the budget. Because otherwise, that meant that we wouldn't have new school books. We wouldn't have buses. Mm -hmm. And because the community was changing, people were, were rebelling, right? I'm not paying for all of that. My kids went through already, all that kind of stuff. So early on, I understood what inequity was. It, it was clear to me that our district, where we had to fight to get those things, the district next door to us, which was very, uh, which was predominantly white. They had pools and all kinds of things in their schools. We didn't have any of that. We shared an auditorium with the high school and the middle school. We didn't have necessarily all of the textbooks. And this is suburban um, New York. But that's wow. what made me say, as like an 11 year old, here I am going door to door, begging people to pass the school budget so we can have the same, at least the same as the people next door. So early on, I became really acutely aware of um, the existence of inequity. 
And before I really even knew it, it became my my passion, my life's mission. You know, I knew that I wanted to do something. I initially wanted to be a lawyer because I just thought it wasn't fair. You know, there has to be a better way that students can be educated, not based upon where they live or what their parents can afford, but that they should have equitable opportunities. I went to college with that in mind, um, was convinced not to go to law school and ended up um, doing public policy and education and going to grad school. When I graduated from high school, I said that I was gonna be the Secretary of Education of the United States because I wanted to change K-12 education. Now, that has not happened. However, I have found other ways throughout my career to impact um, access to for individuals whose voices may not always be at the table. And that's really at the core when I think about how I got into diversity and inclusion, I think it was just ultimately a part of who I who I am as a person. What I saw early on manifested into how do I create spaces in whatever um, industry or sector it is. I've worked in nonprofit, higher ed, and corporate America. How do I use my voice and my influence to create change in spaces so that individuals will have um, equitable access? And it really started from when I look back now, all those years ago, realizing something wasn't right. Like, how come it's not fair that we're not getting the same things as those children? And why? Is it because of what we look like? Um, so learning that at 11, that changes you. Um, well, um, and makes that, you really That's a very interesting know. story. Um, it's a very interesting story. And I appreciate you for sharing that. Now, my question to you, I do know that there was a big thing with the different tones of the skin. Did you notice back then that you were more privileged than the darker toned um, children? You know, it's mm. funny. I didn't realize that until I moved to Connecticut. Now, this is not a dig to Connecticut at all, but I will say it's that- It's the truth. When I, I was in New York, I really, I, literally, I was a little black girl from Queens, little black girl. I never, the only exception I would say is when I was in middle school and, you know, folks would say, oh, you know, you're Oreo, right? Black on the outside, white on the inside because oh we were in honors classes or, you know. So it pains me that kids still have to endure that today. Like, really? Like, all of a sudden, why is it that being smart is acting white. Why equivalent to white. Tell me that. Yeah, like I how do we that. how do we get that? Like how did where did that happen? Who came up with that? Yeah, you know? like who's and why are we perpetuating it, right? Exactly. In our families, in our communities. Why are people like, oh yeah, you know, so it wasn't until I moved here. I was 26 years old when I moved to Connecticut. And and people um were like, oh wow, you know, yellow. Or whatever you know will call me like yellow girl or whatever and i was like um Ooh. i really like honestly i didn't like go and look in the mirror and be like oh look how light i am right but it was as an adult as a young adult when i moved to connecticut and so what part of connecticut I don't remember that. if you mind me asking what and did you i move? moved to middletown initially of course um, yeah mm -hmm. yeah makes sense I moved okay to middletown and you know it was so it was that it was you know oh you're yellow girl it was what are you mixed with um you know, in college, I got a little bit of that too. What do you mix with? Or are you black and Asian? Are you, and I don't know the eye situation. I don't know where that's from. We did ancestry.com. I don't know why I have no Asian in my family. Um, but I was like, I'm black and black. My father is from North Carolina. My um, mother's family originated down in South Carolina and Georgia. I was like, I'm black and black. Wow. And so, you know, describing to people even 
the whole notion of miscegenation, like how I look like this and I'm black, right? When we go back to, and when I visited Ghana and Senegal, when I was in college, the host family there was like, we don't know where you're from because they can determine down to what tribal nation you're a part of based upon your features, your nose, your, you know, the placement of your lips and things like that. They can tell like, oh, you're from the such and such people from that region. But for African-Americans, there's been so many blends and mixtures and things that have happened and taken place over time that we have morphed in some instances such that the people from our homeland, right, where we're from, they don't recognize us in that sense. That was a big, um, that was a big takeaway for me too. Like being, I was totally sister soldier when I got to college and here I am, I'm going to West Africa. I was like, yes, I'm going to the motherland. And they were like, mm, I don't know where you're from here. Like, we're not really so sure where you're from. Wow. So much so that the whole family, I mean, she really, the mother, she was like, really like looking at me very intently, trying to figure out like who I look where she's like. from. <laughs> yeah. Like, where is she from? The little, the little kids, when I walked into the town, they were saying Yevu, Yevu, which means white girl in yep. their language. Wow. So I was like, I was mortified so much so that my host mother was like, let me make you a bracelet. These are traditional, um, and I was in the Volta region of Ghana. She was like, these are traditional beads. You are now one of us. Because literally, she was like, I don't know. And wow. so all of that that we carry, right? When we talk about PTSD and all this other stuff, like we don't really fit in necessarily anywhere. Um, people are always going to try and decide who you are. You don't get to identify who you are. And even that whole notion of, assuming that because I'm lighter complected, I know that I have privilege as a result of that. I'm more comfortable to people, right? They're like, oh, okay. She's nice, um, she's sweet. Yeah, like I can talk to her. Um, I get it, I totally understand it. And I will use it as much as I need to. And, you know? and it's interesting, Joelle, you mentioned that. Um, Shay and I, we talk about that often. Shay, I mean, she's been in the sun a little bit uh, traveling. Uh, but Shay is light-skinned, pretty hair, and... You know what? We've talked about this. I'm telling you. We have you. talked about this. And um, being... Um, it's me and my sister, and I do have an um, interracial... Um, you know, my mom is Italian. So mm -hmm. my father was um, African-American, dark, dark, dark skin. So my sister mm -hmm. is your complexion. Here I am, the brown tone. So mm -hmm. there were a lot of um, things that went on in school. That's why I asked you the question, because I did notice, like... I can remember being treated differently with my grandmother versus mm. my sister, even wow. in the household, you yeah. know, so just yeah. because of the, the skin tone. So we appreciate you for sharing the story. It's so amazing. And I mean, let, let me, let me ask, <laughs> let me ask this, um, Joelle, given your career, um, in corporate America and just being in those spaces, how, how has that your childhood that the story that you just shared with us how has that shaped sort of your work um, yes. and, and how have you been able to kind of get to where you are a yes. well yeah. seasoned professional successful and everything that you're doing um and i don't want to get too far in like ahead of myself here uh but how has that shaped your your work your career thus far well, you know, I'll say in one thing, you know, reflecting back to the whole comment about, you know, being called Oreo and things like that when I was younger, you know, m my family never allowed me or my village never allowed me to believe that. 
So it was said, but it was nothing I ever embraced, right? And so I've never been in the position where I felt like I didn't do the work that meant that I deserved to be where I was. Like I never, ever, um, I never thought about that. So as I went off to Brown and, you know, people like, oh, you went to Ivy League school, really? And, you know, and then, you know, I'm like, I always felt like I deserved to be where I was and made sure that I was a vital part of the places where I was. You weren't going to have me there and then cause me to feel like I was some cast off. No, you invited me here. I'm here. Oh, well, I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to be an or not only were you invited, but you worked hard. Correct. It wasn't like it Correct. was given to you so easily. And right. I think that's the part that frustrates me the most when we talk about women of color, successful women of color getting to where they are. Yeah. No, not all women are sleeping their way to the top. Not, right. not at all. You not at all. Know. Not at all. Not even close. Just, and it's funny because I have a mentor who, unfortunately, she passed away two years ago. Um, she was really one of the first black women in the um, the insurance company that I worked for. And she was constantly, you know, we're talking about in the 80s. It was her, right? Surrounded by white men who realistically, in many instances, had a lot of fetishes about black women. That's right. And, you know, she, she was real honest with me, even in the 2000s. Like, listen, there's some people that you can trust. There's others that when, you know, invitations are extended, oh, you want to grab a drink here, whatever, you might want to go on, you know. Um, those things that we have to be thoughtful about, right, and mindful about where we go, who we're going with, who we trust, what things people might say that you, you know, may have let your guard down and perhaps you're, you trust them and then you're like, oh, right? So there's, I think, one of the things that to the point of, you know, the village or the importance of particularly us as sisters, but in general, um, supporting one another and helping us to navigate through these spaces. Like just because you got there, you have an accountability or responsibility to help along those who are coming forward. That was absolutely modeled to me. So whenever a new person would start, I was like, hey, welcome. You know, I'm here, whatever you need. Even in those moments where we would struggle, and I think this is particularly important for Black women, we would have to find our spaces to be able to um, to just decompress and, and breathe. So often my office was that. Folks will come in the office, close the door. You don't even have to say anything, right? Um, when you started to say something, it might not be, you know, for typical corporate consumption. But it had to be said, you did what you needed to do. You got to cry, whatever you need to do, got a hug and you went back out there and did what you had to do. We really were intentional about having a support system of sisters who were there. Um, and I was, I feel very fortunate for having had that during my longest corporate stint because that is really what held me up. Now I've also had experiences where I've worked in places and black women have let me down. And I've been, you know, and so it was one of those eye openers to me where I was like, well, I guess everybody doesn't roll as my mother used to say, everybody's not you, right? Um, you know, there are some of us who unfortunately are intimidated by each other and because they've created space in organizations, they're like, well, this is my space. Like, who is she? You know, why is she here now? She might, you know, people might like her better than me. And that's so unfortunate that we feel like we have to compete with one another. I said, where do they do that at? Like, I never had I that gonna, experience um, until it happened to me. 
It's funny you brought that up because I was going to ask you, have you ever found yourself in a situation that you were um, maybe looking for an advancement to the next level, whether it's in corporate or in school, and you were obviously, um, it was between you and another sister of color, maybe of a darker tone, and you got it because of your tone, and how did it make you feel? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't know that that that, that was ever the case. Um, because mo in most instances in my career, the opportunities that I've had, I've been very, very fortunate and blessed mm -hmm. that I haven't necessarily gone out to look for opportunities. Someone has said, Hey, um, you know, I'm getting ready to leave this. I want to introduce you to, or awesome. sis, you should think about this. I've been really fortunate in that sense where in a lot of instances, I haven't even known if there were other, you know, folks gotcha. competing, um, you know, what have you, but it, it is when I, when I look back at, I lived through very rose colored glasses of like, you know, black when we always, you know, we're, you know, we're rooting for everybody black until I got to that point in time. And I was yeah. like, Ooh, I guess maybe everybody is not rooting for everybody <laughs> black. Um, and so it's always jarring when it happens because I tell my mentees, I'm like, that's not, we, we don't do that. That's not how we roll. Right. Um, but to see that, it definitely takes you to a different level. But for me, I was like, okay, that's all right. That's what you need to behold, right? So I'm sure. gonna let you live over there and I'm gonna do what I came here to do, right? There was, I have a responsibility. I was brought here for a reason. And so I'm gonna do what I need to do. It's unfortunate. And it still actually sometimes really pains me when I stop and I think about imagine. it. Um, but you know, I mean, every as my mother has always said, everybody's not you. So look, she's like, mind the business that pays you, and that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> uh, we're gonna take Great. a quick break while we're here. Um, when we come back, I know we want to talk about um your the company um that you have founded and um some of the services that you offer because I believe it's amazing and this is some of the things that we need because it's not being taught in the household. So you guys keep it locked. We'll be back inside the room with state representative. Brandon McGee on the takeover. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the takeover as we are inside the room with state representative Brandon McGee. And of course, he brought his big sister with him, Miss Joelle. How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> well, we appreciate you. If you guys are just now tuning in, you guys are missing a phenomenal conversation in, in regards to just um just black on black kind of competition, black on black. Um, Oh, segregation um, and, and within our own community and, and just so many other things. And Joelle brought light to her experience living in um, Jamaican Queens and just um, gr just growing up there and then moving to Connecticut and realizing that the, the privileges that she has been given is a little bit different than someone with a different tone of skin. And I know they talked about this. I always reference back to this, the Jack and Jill um, um experience a lot of people don't know i know brandon always looked like that when i say that but you know you were <laughs> determined by the color of your skin and oh, yeah lots of yes. things the whole paper bag test i mean historically yes. and it's yes. interesting you say that because people will make the assumption that i'm an aka for example we talked about the fact that i'm a member of delta sigma theta but la, la, because la, of my, my complexion <laughs> people well, you know um you know, because of my complexion, yes, people will yes. say, oh, I thought you were an AKA. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I'm like, hmm, that's deep. And someone actually told me recently that wherever they went to school, I can't remember it was, that they, because there was done, this was, you know, 20 years ago, but because there was still so much of that, you know, like the AKs are light skin, the Deltas are brown skin, you know, wow. that kind of thing. Like that's been all that. perpetuated that though. Really? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's not that's not on white people, that's on us. Um, See what I'm saying? Within yeah, our own community, yeah, once again. That's on our own. Yeah, that's on us. And I mean, even, you know, so there are a lot of organizations where unfortunately you know and, and i mean if you think of if you look at at countries across the world whether you're talking about race which is really akin to here in the united states or if you're talking about color um the book cast um by isabel wilkerson talks a lot about that you know the notion of just simply your skin tone determining your access to wealth to resources and so on and so forth. Looking at the island nations in the Caribbean, same stuff, some of the same stuff on the motherland. I mean, so, mm -hmm. it, but it, some of it has to do with how historically, and really this talks about, you know, talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the, the origin of race, you know, where it even came from um, was that it was established essentially, it's a societal um, structure that was created to make a distinction between a group of people and others. Mm -hmm. How do you maintain the power and the wealth that you have? Well, those Europeans at that point in time were like, listen, those people that look like that, we're going to make them less than, right? So, you know, less of a person, um, not able to access all the facilities. We'll create, ex you know, separate facilities for them. Now, understand, some of us embrace that. And so we're like, oh, we're not worthy of having, right? But some of us were like, mm, mm -mm. no, we are. <laughs> um, and all of those things that they did to ensure that we wouldn't remember where we came from, we do still recall those. And that's why it's important for us to help our children to understand, you know, never mind worrying about whether it's taught in schools. It's critically important that we learn Black and Latino history in our schools for sure. Right. But we have a responsibility to make sure that our young people know who Lewis Latterman was, who, you know, other Black inventors were, um, who created things so that we don't seem like we always came um, in need of something, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the whole notion of, you know, color, of colorism, it still absolutely plagues us. We have embraced and internalized that notion that white is right. And it's only emphasized in these communities where we move into, our children are in the minority in terms of numbers. Mm -hmm. And so in a classroom, the teacher has, you know, um, un unknowingly decorated with pictures of little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls and little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boys. And there's no one that that represents who our young black and brown kids are. They don't see themselves on the wall. They don't see themselves in front of the classroom. The statistics in Connecticut around teachers, I mean, there's like something like two black teachers for every hundred um, students, something crazy like that. Um, so there, our kids are not seeing themselves on the walls. They're not seeing themselves in ads. They're not seeing themselves in front of the classroom. Um, and so we do have responsibility to ensure that that happens. Now, corporate America said, you know, particularly over the last year um, on the heels of George Floyd, they were like, you know what? It's a little bit more. And I do give them credit for saying it's more than just this one issue of violence, right? Because we all know we've been watching black men be killed, whether by police or vigilantes or whatever the case may be for the last decade plus hundreds mm -hmm. of years, right? Like we really mm -hmm. want to talk about it. 
but I do give them credit for saying, you know what, it's bigger than that. Because of what we see and how we feel about you, and quite frankly, how we've been taught about you, you know, we just don't even assume that you would be positioned in these places. And we think that those of you who are astute enough are like anomalies, like, oh, look, you know, I've never met anyone like you before. And so we don't think- So eloquently. They're so articulate. So articulate. so we have one of you. So that's look, great. Look, 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 the real, the, the, what they really want to say. We didn't know you, your kind act this way. That's what Correct. they really want to say. <laughs> Correct. So, you know, they have a few and they're like, okay, we're good. So now everyone was like, well, you know, actually we're not representative of the population in your organization. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Now, everyone is like bemoaning the fact that it's a year in and a lot of organizations haven't made a whole lot of change. Well, hello. It's been hundreds of years that we have established the system that we live in. We cannot expect one year everything to automatically poof with a magic wand. And so people who do work like I do in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, you know, a lot of organizations are hiring consultants like me, my organization, Exec Mommy Group. Um, you know, we go into organizations, education, nonprofit, the private sector to help them identify gaps and opportunities to literally accomplish their desired outcomes through a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. So they're hiring us like crazy. I have been, I was wasn't planning to be an entrepreneur. Next thing you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I've worked, I've never worked as hard in my life <laughs> working for I'll myself. I'll be trying to tell them. Okay. Ooh, hey, hey Joe, um, Yes. Before you continue talking about Mom, Mommy, which, which is, you're going to probably have to start hiring more people because yeah. uh, the requests uh, are coming in. Absolutely. But let's back up a little bit um, and, and really provide some more history on the importance of uh, diversity efforts reflecting the experiences of women of color. Uh, th- there was a, a case um, somewhere around 1975, 76, there were five African-American women who essentially attempted to sue General Motors for discrimination. Mm-hmm. But their claims were dismissed because there weren't they weren't covered within the existing legal framework. Correct. In other words, there was no precedence for that type of claim that they were saying they were discriminated against. Right. However, there was uh, uh, General Motors white female employees um, because they had never experienced that particular uh, discrimination. The plaintiffs, black women, could not sue for gender discrimination. That's right. And men of color hadn't experienced it either. So they, their complaint fell on deaf ears. Um, uh, and couldn't be covered under the racial discrimination. And and further, I think it, it all will also mention that the U.S. judicial system simply did not have um, like the legal uh, nuance to address the situation uh, specifically of women of color. And so when we begin talking about like 40 years later, similar issues persist across, I think, all industries, all sectors, and, you know, I can spew out data. I'm sure you have that as well. But how, is, how has that been impacting this type of behavior in terms of lack of diversity? And I mean, you mentioned it. You said, look, it's just a year coming off the hills of George Floyd. We have, we have a lot of work to, to, to do. Uh, and it, change does not happen overnight. But I'm of grave concern that while we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I feel 
most times women of color, they're sort of either left by the wayside or not as supported as men of color, um, mm -hmm. you know, making their way to the C-suite, if you would. I know that's old terminology for some folks, but mm -hmm. in some of these senior level positions. And if they do make it, and if they do make it, the pay isn't the same. Correct. Yeah. Right. Pay equity is a huge issue. I mean, and you know, thanks you to the General Assembly here in Connecticut, we did we did work on pay equity. Yes. We're nowhere near where we need to be, but we're working toward it. So Yeah, but it's a conversation, right? And you have to start right. somewhere. I think, you know, one of the one of the challenges about the scenario you described, today race is a protected class, then it was not, right? So you automatically can bring forth grounds um, on the basis of racism. But I will tell you that racial discrimination is extremely hard to prove. You almost have to have literally the evidence of someone having a, a noose on your desk, um, you know, in order to prove the treatment that we receive, which in, in many instances is not always spoken. Mm -hmm. It can be symbolic. When we talk about microaggressions, right? Those, those um, unintended consequences. So, you know, I make a comment um, and, and we hear this oftentimes, you know, things like, um, you know, you're pretty for a black girl or things of that nature, right? It, the person who's saying it doesn't even think that it's, you know, racist, right? But when you hear that enough times, it begins to impact you, right? So now do I feel less than? Am I questioning whether or not um, I'm beautiful? And why is it qualified with for a dark girl or for a black girl? Like, why do, why do we engage in that? Or hearing people say, oh, gosh, you speak so well, you know, as if what exactly did you expect me to sound like um, when I opened my mouth? You know, and it's that kind of thing that is exhausting. And when we talk about microaggressions, it's like death by a thousand cuts. So, you know, a paper cut is really small. You don't necessarily see it. But boy, don't put your hand, you know, near a lemon or this. And you're like, ooh, this is a whole like this is a pain of a whole nother level. And imagine that every single day. Um, some people talk about it like mosquito bites. Imagine that every single day you walk into the office and that's what you are confronting. So there are things that that particularly women of color are dealing with that um, are in place before you even get to sit down at your computer and start your work. You're thinking about, you're battling through things, assumptions that people are making about you um, and your capability to handle things. Um, you know, we have just seen in this last couple of weeks with Simone Biles, with Naomi Osaka saying like, listen, and I give these young sisters a lot of credit because I, I think, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. There's no way in the world at that age, we would have been like, nope, you just push through it. Um, and, you know, so to hear them say like, no, you know, I'm not I'm doing good. this, it's I'm too well. much, I'm, I'm all set. Yeah, I'm not, you know, and I think it's really important. I mean, I, you know, I'll be in full disclosure, full transparency. I started doing some work on myself earlier this year because I was like, wait a minute, there's so much that we own as black women. Like we're supposed to be like, wait, wait, let me juggle this. Let me carry this. Let me hold this or whatever. And I was like, wait, hold on a minute. Let's think through this, you know? And I started um, talking through it and I came up with this phrase for me, I cook a lot. Um, it's one of my stress relievers. But what I noticed is that, you know, what we've been taught, we fix everybody else's plate first, right? Always. I was like, nah, I'm fixing my plate first. I've been standing right. here cooking it. I know what part of it is real good that I want and whatever, whatever piece or whatever. Yep, I'm getting it first. Mm 
So that's my thing now. I'm like, I'm fixing my plate first. Fix your plate first, sis. Like, no. Um, you know, we have to own the fact that, you know, we are expected to be so strong and carry so many things in the workplace, at home, et cetera, that creating boundaries is so critically important for your mental health. Um, so you can show up at work as your best self. So you can show up at home as your best self. So you can show up for you as your best self, right? Um, and I think that's all the stuff that Black women are dealing with in the context of the workplace. I think brothers, they've been able to connect with white men. They use the same facilities. They have those conversations, you know, the elbow to elbow, out on the golf course or whatever. We weren't invited to those places. Mm. And the white women were, in some instances, intimidated by us. We weren't invited to be around them either. So we're behind the times in terms of being able to enter into some of these places. And then to your point, what happens is we are we are um, hired into um, HR or diversity or communications or marketing as if we can't impact um, from a corporate perspective, you know, um, profit and loss businesses. Like, look at Ursula Burns, look at Carla Harris, bad, right? On Wall Street for years. But like the rest of us can't do that. Um, and so it's we're pigeonholed into positions and, and I'm glad to see that many of our young sisters are like, no, I'm not staying there. I'm gonna reinvent myself or I'm gonna really um, be true to myself and who I am and amplify that. And what we've done is we've been like, you know what? Take your job. I'm gonna go start my own. Right. Black women have opened the most businesses in the context of the pandemic. Um, when we were in the economic downturn back in 2008, who was opening businesses? Black women. So I think, honestly, that's a great segue into Execute Mommy. I know you were talking a little bit about it early on in the second segment, but fill us in again how people can reach, connect you, uh, the work that you're doing, and you you will travel, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. Or, or, or what is this? Well, we Zoom? live on Zoom, yeah. Right. <laughs> Zoom is definitely happy with me as a customer, for sure. I know that's right. For sure. <laughs> but yeah, so I... Um, the original origins of Exec Mommy was I started writing a book that I've actually never finished called Tales of an Executive Mom. Oh, wow. And it was because one of my interns asked me at one point, you know, how do you do it? Like, we're watching you. You know, you're at the time I was married, you have kids, you have this demanding job and, you know, you're involved in the community, sorority, church, etc. Like, how do you do it? And so she I started balanced to think, it all, Shay. It was like, I don't know how. Yeah. So I started to think about it, like, really, what did I do? So I really started doing a lot of reflecting on, like, what lessons did I learn from women that I've known? And the intent of the book, I was supposed to ultimately interview all these different women from different places. And I had written some stuff and I just haven't finished it. That's a whole other story. But I start because it was Tales of an Executive Mom, I started referring to myself as Exec Mommy. Um, and so fast forward years later, when I was making a career transition, I realized that I liked consulting. I enjoyed being able to go in, assess a situation, give my recommendation, and leave. And I started doing some consulting for a friend of mine. And ultimately, in my career um, transition, I always say that God was like, stop playing around. I told you that exec mommy group is what you need to be doing right now. Um, because I had applied for a job that I thought I could have done with my eyes closed, and I didn't get it. And when I asked them for feedback, they were like, well, you blew them away. Well, who doesn't hire somebody because of that? Why? Because they weren't ready. They weren't ready to do DNI the way I do DNI. So I was like, okay, catch a clue. You're going to run your own business. Even then, and this is back in May of 2019, 
I still never imagined that Exec Mommy Group would be this like real legitimate business. Like to we're, me, we're it was talking like shy of two body. years ago. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was to me. It was like what I was gonna do on the side, and I fully expect that I'll be back in corporate. I'm teaching a few classes, so I'll just you know I'll go back to corporate. And then George Floyd was killed, and it took me a minute to respond because I was in my feelings about the whole situation. I I did okay. not have voice. I didn't have anything to yeah. say, and then I realized people were kind of waiting for me to say something. So the minute I kind of, you know, stepped out there, it was really just a blessing of organizations that I had some connection to or colleagues of mine and that, you know, um, in our village, everybody wins village of being like, hey, I want you to come into my organization. I want you to come into my organization and really um, building a business where I have actually hired some folks. I have some folks on retainer. Um, at this point because the volume and the demand is so significant mm -hmm. um and so interestingly enough you know my career is so varied right i didn't stay in one place i was in higher ed i was in corporate and it seems so odd like people always told me like it might be hard for you the headhunters it might be hard for you to get into something because you don't have like the consistent path up but what my clients are telling me is they appreciate the diversity of my experiences exactly and so you know i mean as long as folks decide that they want to be talking about this, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, um, you know, and, and it connects to the, you asked Brandon, I'm sorry, I didn't even respond to the piece about no, okay. connection to racial equity. You know, a lot of organizations have been doing diversity for a long time, doing diversity, meaning like, oh, it's the nice thing to do. Let's all hold hands. One black person, one gay person, someone in a wheelchair and sing kumbaya, right? And that is not so what it's far. about. You know, so that's the start of it. Like, do you have people represented in your organization who represent different groups, different perspectives, different backgrounds? That in and of itself is an opportunity. But then how do you invite them in, right? That's where inclusion comes in. So diversity is the mix, the representation, who's there. Inclusion is what you do with it. So you have all these folks with different backgrounds, but how do you amplify their voices? How do you bring them in? How do you help them develop solutions? Um, that's the challenge. Then equity, you know, we've lived as a society talking about everything should be equal. All people should be equal. No disrespect to the civil rights movement, right? Because we needed equality then, because at that point we didn't even have the same bathroom. But now we're talking about, it's not just about give me what you have. It's give me what I need. I may not need that thing that you're given. I need something different because I'm inherently a different person. So being capable enough to acknowledge as an organization, everybody doesn't need the same thing. Absolutely. They need to have um, fair access, universal access. But once I get here, maybe I don't need all of those things, right? I need these things and being nimble enough to be able to provide them for folks in your organization. So that at the core is yeah. the definition of those terms. Well, I, I know, I know we talked a little bit about, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because pre-show we talked about the baby and little baby and <laughs> all these different versions I of like babies. Babies. um but shay fill, fill us in on what what's been happening and how we can make a connection to today's conversation essentially and then you know next week we can really unpack yeah um, sort of uh the contradiction of of how we're handling many of these conversations and i'll just leave it at, at that but 
know yeah. you yeah, because I know we gotta go. Um, we could talk all day with her. I love it. But what, what first I want to back up. One of the things, the key things that you said was when the George Floyd incident happened. It was like everyone was waiting for you to speak. If you mm-hmm. didn't speak, you were a part of the problem at yep. that point because I know mm-hmm. there were a lot of us that were quiet from years and years on out on different things that happened. But at this time, we all needed to speak up. So Absolutely. I appreciate you for bringing light to that because I was one at my feelings is hurt um and I spoke up and I'm one that always try to stay away from stuff and politics but no you had everyone had to put all 10 toes down at that point that's right or you were a part of the problem so I appreciate that for bringing light to that now you also talked about just the the LGBT community and um women of color now here we are with the, the baby which I'm so angry with him however um I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little confused too with the people because here he had all these sponsors at one point. Um, so wait, just to give a give what, a what figure, give, a, say, give us yeah, give yeah, us yeah, an yeah. idea as to what, what happened. What happened was he um, during a Rolling Loud um, festival. If people don't know Which what I Rolling Loud is, <laughs> it's where a bunch of artists go to and they they perform and show their artistry and so forth on this big stage. And I hear it's really fun. You walk in, it's a bunch of rides and so forth, and a bunch of activities that you can um, participate in. But apparently, he get on stage during his performance and he tell others um, those who and I'm just gonna not really verbatim say what he said, but. He uh, said, put your, shine your light on your, put your flashlight up on your phone. If you come here with that's HIV free, AIDS free, um, and no disease that's going to kill you in the next two weeks or three, two to three weeks. Or he also said, um, also put your lighters up if you're not in the parking lot doing sexual activities with the same sex. And once again, I'm not going to really say verbatim what he said. So now at this point, it brings an uproar to those who are affected by HIV and AIDS, as well as the LGBT community. Okay. Now, this was an issue that came up today. And all these people are looking to cancel him out and cancel all his contracts and sponsorship and so forth. But when the baby was speaking about killing with black on black crime, as well as um, talking about a black woman and just dis- disrespecting him through his music, he was praised behind this. So here it is a situation again, not to once again, trust me, I'm not against the LGBT community. I do not want anyone to think that, but I'm also a black woman that did not get protection as well during this time. So I, you know, I just want to speak on this a little bit, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, it comes down to power and resources, right? So, you know, we are always, I mean, there's still, you know, if you think back to Step It and Fetch It, Step and Fetch It and all that stuff back in the 40s and 50s, right? Like, it's not very much different now. Um, From what I understand, I don't know the baby. But from what I understand, a lot of these, um, you know, artists that come out here, they are carrying this image that the industry has placed on them. Like, you got to be this. You need to show up as this. A lot of those people don't even come from the kind of background that they're singing about, rapping about, whatever. Like, nobody's doing all of that. Um, yeah. Even 6 so nine. I know you probably don't know 6 nine. I'm not no, sure. I do. You know 6 Okay. Once again, Yo, they got him out of I don't They got him out of a sandwich shop, just so you yeah. know. And they said, yeah. we're going to play like you're a gang member because this is what they, they made they're going to accept. Yeah. They oh, made they they, it. was something they created. Yeah. Yeah, they create that image. I know someone year, Yeah, I know someone <laughs> years ago who was in the industry and, you know, brilliant singer. 
songwriter the whole nine this was this is way back this is like in the 80s when like janet jackson was out you know janet jackson had the whole pleasure principle thing right uh-huh. well so they yeah, wanted yeah. her to do like they wanted her to have an image they wanted her to have, have this ultra yes. sexy image or whatever and she was like nah that's not who I am, you know, I'm a vocalist. I have a, and so like, just like that first, first album, first song drop, never, never heard another thing about her again, because that's what it's all about. Image. Can they make, especially, you know, for the kids, can they make merch off of it? Can they make, you know, all these different things, the kids going to buy the hat or the, you know, the sneakers or whatever, or the shirt with whatever dumb hashtag saying that they got to have, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what it's all about. It's all about money. So where, where the baby went wrong is he got a little too comfortable and he started talking probably the foolishness that really is in his head and (laughs) forgot and you know and everybody was like "Uh oh you know so of course they have to pull their support they're not gonna do you all know do you recognize i mean black community latino community lgbt community the um buying power Yes. In the trillions of dollars, larger yes. than some country, they're not going to keep their support there. Are you kidding me? They dropped them like a hot potato. Mm-hmm. No. So now well, he, he did now on an apologize, but it was sort whatever. of parted. Oh, he did, he apologized. He said, yeah, he apologized for the HIV and AIDS comment, but it was like what he said, what he said with the LGBT community. Sounded foolish. He, you he know? said something like, you know, well, so y'all, you know, so my bad. LGBT. First of all, everybody that has AIDS is not an LGBT not, community. No, they're not. And then two, he was like, so my bad LGBT community, um, you know, y'all do what y'all do. Exactly. Pretty much like I said what I said. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yes. Yeah, well, so, um, yeah. I will say this, and I'm going to end it on this note. Um, us as a Black culture, we are the only one to disrespect our Black woman in our music. Terrible. It's terrible. It is terrible. And like I said, you know, I have a 17-year-old, almost 18-year-old going off to college. And when I hear her playlist, and, and she'll be like, oh, sorry, Ma. Now, I remember growing up, there were songs I knew the words to that I wasn't going to sing in front of my mother, but it didn't mean I didn't know the words to them. But I'm just like looking at some of the things that even our young women are putting out there, right? Women that these young girls are holding up in high esteem, whether you down with this one or that one, I'm not mm. going to say the names. But mm. I'm like, Really? Hmm. That's what, and, and I mean, you know, just because I'm eavesdropping in y'all women <sighs> power empowerment conversation here, I have two <laughs> girls, uh, and and yes, I you do. I know we pray concerned. for you every day. I am mm-hmm. very concerned <laughs> with some of um, the um, artists that female yeah. artists that are out yeah. there, and they're not what I would want my daughter to at all. Despise. Well, I will say all. this: it's more accessible now due to social media platforms. So, oh, in absolutely. my opinion, I would and I would try to keep them away from social media platform as long as you can. Yeah. That would be my first take on that. And two, um, stay away from the radio. Mm. Um, I remember going to radio. You know, sometimes when you when they get older, you're gonna start bringing them to school and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we do ask them, don't we? Yeah, or but even still, Radio. but even yes, still. we we had a playlist. We had a ride to school playlist yeah, that had a lot of too. like kid. Well, they didn't like kids. We do bop, kid but kids. Well, yeah, see, my kids didn't like kids bop. They were like, "Ma, that's real corny." So <laughs> we just got all the clean version. You know, because Walmart used to sell back when you still bought stuff as opposed to downloading it. Yeah. But you can still search for clean versions of things, you know, most things for the younger kids. But when they get to be teenagers, 
it's like inevitable. Control, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. So just but continue to instill that within the home, Brandon. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Just treating yeah. them how a woman should be treated is definitely the foundation because that's if right. they know and have that foundation at home, they know when they get out there, something's not that's right. right. That that's would right. be my recommendation. That's right. That's right. So well, I, I would say this. This has been um part one, I think, of another conversation. Just I know. Because kind of <laughs> um, Joelle is not only this this very um, constant uh, professional, she's also, um, there's something about her in the church, we'll say, very spiritual and uplifting. Yeah. Um, very uplifting, because I could listen to you all day, girl. I know, I I'm saw like... Shay. Shay was like, she could probably get some popcorn and just sit back. Listen, because uh, you're speaking in real stuff, and yeah, it's sad. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm happy, though, that we're able to use this platform on FUBU Radio uh, to share with the thousands, even millions of people that listen um, to this show uh, weekly, uh, right here in, inside the room with myself, State Representative Brandon McGee, also alongside my co-host, Shay McCray of The Takeover. Uh, and I'm just happy. No, I have not addressed my social media handle. Um, so y'all already know what it is. It is underscore BLMJ underscore on IG. Y'all follow me. I got TikTok going too, y'all. So stay tuned to some of my my videos. Um, I don't know how well I'll do, but I have TikTok too, but I don't have a lot out there. I don't oh, have a lot out, out there. there. But mm. but before we before we go though, Joel, tell us again your social media yes. handle, your yes. website, how people can you know connect with you and and you know, absolutely. So you can reach me at Exec Mommy. Um, the business Exec Mommy Group um, on Instagram, Facebook. LinkedIn, they're all the same. Exec mommy group. I just want to let you know. I'll let you know, Brandon. I'm outnumbered, y'all. I'm outnumbered. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much. Oh, and Twitter. And Twitter. I'm sorry. I I don't do Twitter as much as I should, but I just got some advice from my um my um public relations consultant that I need to spend more time on Twitter. You could share at the same time. That's the only thing I do. I just don't look at Twitter at all. I don't look at it I just share it and then, yeah. 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 My my only concern about using those apps that post the same thing across all social media is is each platform is different and the audience is different. That is true. And so it it kind of worries me a little bit sometimes, but Twitter is where it is as well, especially- That's what everybody's saying. Types of conversations folks are having. Especially Black Twitter. I love Black Twitter. I keep hearing about this Black Black Twitter. Twitter. I have not tapped into it yet. I'm grateful for people who put it onto (laughs) Instagram because, you know, that way, that's how I always find out what's happening on Black Twitter. I'm a grammar. (laughs) I like Instagram. Yes. So thank you so much. much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yes, yes. All right. Well, you guys, y'all know what it is. Y'all make sure y'all follow us, Official FUBU Radio. And tell somebody to download the FUBU Radio app. And follow me, Shay McCray. That is S-H-A-Y-M-C-C-R-A-Y. And thank you guys for tuning in Inside the Room with State Representative Brandon McGee. It's the takeover, baby.